Okay, so I am out on my first backpacking trip of the summer, and I'm trying out this uh, new gravity water filter from Sawyer. Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. Support for this episode comes from Sawyer, a company that makes water filters, bug repellent, and other products to keep you safe while you enjoy the outdoors. So they sent me one of their gravity water filters to try out. And I've collected a big bladder full of water from the lake. The lake, by the way, is very cold. It still has ice on some of it. Now, we can just sit here on this log and let gravity do the work. The filter works well. You don't have to crouch awkwardly by a stream or a lake and actively pump water. You just hang a water reservoir in the tree, attach the filter, put your water bottles underneath, and a minute or two later, you have clean water to drink. For 25% off your order at SawyerSafeTravel.com, enter the promo code OTPOD25 at checkout. That's SawyerSafeTravel.com, promo code OTPOD25. One of my earliest memories from college was going on a camping trip. The outdoor club on campus had organized it, and they provided all the gear we would need. Tents, sleeping bags, camp stoves, etc. Several friends of mine came along, and we spent a wonderfully restorative night out in the woods somewhere in central Ohio. There are photos of us warming our hands by the campfire, and standing beneath a waterfall, and scrambling up onto rock outcroppings. We look so young and so carefree and so white. There isn't a single person of color in any of the photos. If you went to college at a predominantly white institution, chances are you had similar experiences. There was probably some sort of outdoor program on campus, and it was probably composed of mostly white people. If you went to a historically black college or university, you likely had a different experience. Chances are there was no outdoor program on campus, and you probably grew up hearing that the outdoors was for white people. This was certainly the case for a man named Ron Griswell. Ron is an outdoor adventurer and educator, and he's on a mission to close the adventure gap and help more students of color gain access to outdoor education. To do that, he's launched an initiative called HBCUs Outside, which is aimed at helping historically black colleges and universities get their students outside. Ron joins us today to talk about his own path to becoming a leader in the outdoor industry. On this episode, we talk about the hurdles, the challenges, and also the joys of being black outdoors. My family used to do a lot of road trips when I was younger and uh, even when, you know, I was a, a baby. So 
this particular moment, which is the earliest uh, memory that I have, uh, we were road tripping. I was in a car seat, so I know I had to be young. And I just remember we pull over, my dad's driving, and I can barely see out the window from, but from what I do see, there's just these spectacle of blue greens and and uh and grays and i'm looking out at this what is a mountain range and it was just one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen and i just remember in that moment being so frustrated because i couldn't get out of my car seat that's how much it 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 took me in it literally the scene swallowed me whole ron's childhood was filled with outdoor memories Mostly at his grandmother's house, where he would play outside with his cousins for hours on end. But growing up, he never thought of his own activities as outdoorsy. It was just something I just did, you know. It was That was a part of life. It was, you know, grandma didn't want us inside the house tearing stuff up, so <laughs> we'll go outside and uh, we'll be out there all day, you know, from sunup to sundown, catching fireflies, hide-and-go-seat, tag meddling, uh, just all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, and you bring up an interesting point, though, that you didn't necessarily think of that as being outdoorsy. It was just life. That was just what childhood was like, um, which which sort of raises this, this interesting point that I think, you know, the outdoor industry often feels a bit exclusive like it you know you're not considered actually outdoorsy unless you're summiting mountains and or you know running 100 miles or whatever um what what do you feel about that kind of messaging um I mean is that problematic I believe it is um you know first I want to say that you know now those things definitely excite me uh i definitely look for adventure but at the same time i've realized that adventure is a a a frame of thinking and not necessarily a set place um when i first started out i was uh, another early memory or something i just used to do we always went to the library every week and i don't know any other kid who did this and uh, I may be unique or weird, but I always rented out the National Geographic documentaries. And I would watch these, you know, adventurous uh, stories uh, take place. So, you know, that was my, that was me wanting to do those things. So when I would go outside, I would get outside and I would fantasize that I was in those places. So, you know, the the little thicket across the street from my home, what was literally just a few <laughs> sparse trees, you know, turned mm-hmm. into, you know, this giant rainforest that I would go explore and dig up bones or, you know, just try to make my own adventures in because, that is what I saw. And of course, as I continue to get older, you know, I realized from what I was seeing, oh, I can't wait to do a real adventure. And, uh, you know, sometimes I, I still find myself saying that sometimes and I have to bring myself back, you know, to and remind myself that, you know, getting outside is just that. It's getting outside. 
and you know it's beautiful in every single way from the small walk by the river to the you know summiting of mount everest so i i do definitely believe that uh it is a a ill-conceived notion that you have to be doing something of great importance or overcoming something um and that is you what getting outside is I, I i don't believe that at all is it more is this messaging more problematic for people of color as a black man realizing what it did to me mentally and how i think about adventure usually think about adventure and how i sometimes slip up and think about it I feel like yes. And also when I look at the outdoor activities I did do as a child with my parents and siblings and sometimes with extended family, these things were, you know, I should say more so comfortable experiences. These were the road trips. These were the maybe a tour in a cave, uh, which was extremely exciting when I was younger. But uh, these are fairly safe things. And one of the most, you know, number one things of how people of color get outside, I mean, is cooking outside. So, you know, just the simple act of gathering to cook outside, whether that's the family reunion or just, you know, having a party in the yard. And so when uh, as people of color, you see how you normally get outside and then you look at what the messaging of the outdoors is saying getting outside is the trail running the rock climbing all these other active uh kind of remote experiences there's a a disconnect and you can find yourself saying that's not for me you can find yourself constantly hearing throughout your lifetime which i did uh, black people don't do that or you know that's a a, a, a white folks activity so I, I feel like it does uh, discourage uh, people of color from from getting outside tell us about your first job in the outdoor industry my first job in the outdoor industry was in 2013 and <laughs> I was get I was in college at uh, North Carolina Anti-State University in Greensboro, North Carolina. I was at a point where I was just over everything. I was coming to the realization that the only reason I went to college was because not only did I think it was the next best thing to do, but, you know, I was trying to, like, please, like, my parents. I never really, I think many people do this, you know. I never really thought about uh, what I wanted to do. It's just like, okay, you finish high school, all right, college, that's, you're off. And I was getting to a point where it was all sinking in. I was realizing I was doing the same, the same things with my, like, friends. It was just, you know, work, uh, well, schoolwork party chill schoolwork party chill. it got so routine and there was this quote um that started to get stuck in my head and you know it's the it's the quote uh like if money wasn't an option you know what would you do and i started thinking about those childhood memories 
overlooking the mountains and the Smokies and started thinking about my summer camp experiences that I begged my parents to let me go to. And uh, I remember I was like, God, I'll do a, I'll be a, a, a camp counselor or, you know, I just want to get outside, anything. So, you know, I started searching, searching, searching. Um, it, you know, a certain criteria had to fall into. It had to, it had to offer me some sort of subsidized housing, transportation or something so it can like cut down on the expense of, you know, me getting there and living there, you know. And um, <laughs> and I and I found this this place called Woodness Inquiry. I I called the guy and oh, OK, Woodness Inquiry is based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. I called the guy. We had an interview, um, I think about a week or two later. Uh, he got back to me. It was like, look, they would love to have me on. I my my first thing was, you know, how soon? And he was like, well, we'll be looking to bring you in for a, a summer intern position. I was like, I can be there next week. <laughs> and this was in the winter. <laughs> this was January. This is January 2013. And he was he was like, well, let me see what I could do. And uh, but I, I'm pretty sure we'd love to have you. Uh <laughs> And uh, the next thing I knew, I am arriving to Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, Twin Cities Airport. Um, and it is, God, what was it? Was it negative 14 degrees? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I lived in North Carolina my whole life. And before I knew it, you know, I had made this radical decision to leave basically a life behind and you know just catapult myself into something else the thing is not only did I want to change I wanted radical change and I wanted something that was going to challenge me to a level of you know that maybe I'll break down emotionally maybe I'll break down financially but I just wanted something that was going to be a challenge for me So, you know, I moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota. I started working at Woodness Inquirer as an intern. And, uh, you know, I got settled in. It was a, uh, <laughs> um, it's funny. The guy who picked me up from the airport, his name is Josh Garabanda. I still consider him a great mentor to today. Um, he goes by Brother Wilderness. And he picked me up from the airport. And I just knew that the the place that I was interning for or that I was interviewing for, I should say, I was like, okay, you know, I'm get prepared, Ron, you know, this is going to be a, a white guy that picks you up. And it was a black man. I was like, wow, <laughs> I was so surprised. And uh, he took me to the office and then I saw like, okay, the rest of the office is white. Okay. That's why they sent him. Okay. This, this, this makes sense. Um, <laughs> but that was just, <laughs> they sent their one black guy. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly and uh but you know it was it was amazing it was like okay okay that this is fine this is fine i can get used to it so you know when i say i was in a completely different environment coming from a historical black college in, and and university and if you've never been in a, to a historical black college university um just think of wakanda and that is honestly the best description i can give you it is 
the complete opposite of what I catapulted myself into. But like I said, it was a change I wanted. And so I started doing the regular intern stuff at this company. You know, I was like, okay, this is, this is, uh, this is cool. And, um, I, I, I said, Hey, when can I start doing trips? You know, I want to, I want to do that. I want to do this. And I started pointing at pictures they had on the, on the wall. They had all these beautiful photos on the wall of all these wild places. And, um, I remember pointing to one of the places and I was like, Hey, where's this place? I saw people rafting and Josh was like, that's a grand Canyon. I was like, Oh wow. When can I go there? He was like, I've been here, he says something like, I don't know, X amount of years, seven, eight years or something like that. He was like, and I've never been there. So it was just like, okay, Ron, you know, you're not going, <laughs> you know, you're not going there. So, you know, uh, I say a couple weeks went by and the executive director, Greg Leyes, calls me in and he was like, hey, Ron, how would you like to go to the Boundary Waters? And like I said, this is the middle of the winter. And... Uh, for one, I didn't know what the Boundary Waters was. And he was like, well, we have a, a disabilities trip uh, um, going out. And we think that you can be of great assistance in leading, uh, being one of the co-leaders on this trip and helping the people uh, on the trip who have, you know, cognitive and severe disabilities. And I was like, of course. And then, um, yeah, and I was like, just sign me up. And so... I just remember this feeling in my heart of when he's like, you know, I'm sending you out on your first, your first trip, your first adventure. And I just remember my, my heart almost like skipped a beat because it was like, wow, I just got like a, you know, I, I'm being sent somewhere, you know, and I, I could have cared less where it was. He could have sent me down the street. Like, but, you know, it's like, <laughs> wow, I'm, you know, I feel I feel like, you know, these National Geographic explorers who, who come to the headquarters and they get their their assignment and, you know, they're just off into the wilderness. And so, you know, there was this all this feeling and emotion behind it, but it would pale in comparison to what I actually felt when I got there. And um, I, I sometimes just almost tear up every time I think about it. But um, we're we're driving up. Now I'm describing this at first experience. We're driving up the Gunflint Trail. And I remember we're in a 15-passenger van. We have a small trailer on the back of the van. We pull over to the side of the road. Uh, it's snowing heavy. We're all decked out in heavy winter gear. I had to borrow gear from, you know, Wooden's Inquiry because I never knew, like... I didn't own any of this stuff coming from North Carolina. Well, what are snow pants? Like, <laughs> mucklucks? <laughs> like, what is this stuff I'm wearing? But, you know, I was definitely warm. And um, and we get out. And I remember getting out. And my I, I instantly couldn't feel my hands. And I'm like, we're pulling over to the side of the road now. And I'm like, what is this? And it was like, we got to put on the snow chain, the, the snow chains on the tires. I was like, snow chains on tires? Where do they do? Dude, are we in Alaska? Like, what is going on? <laughs> we finally pull up to our location. It's this giant parking lot um, at Camp Minogin. Camp Minogin is a YMCA camp uh, located uh, near the Boundary Waters. And um, I was like, okay, so what do we... I was... I, I look... I look out and the the lodge is actually like another mile, 0.7.5 miles away I'm like, okay, uh, why do we stop here? Like, we can just drive. He's like, we're not, we, we don't drive. He's like, that's a, 
that's a frozen lake we have to cross. That's 0.5.7 miles that we have to uh, walk across this frozen lake to get to the lodge. And in the back of my mind, it's like, what? (laughs) And uh, not only that, not only that, the participants who have cognitive, uh, severe cognitive physical disabilities, we had to put them in a sled, a poke sled. And then we'll take the poke sled and we'll strap it to our bodies with other gear and we'll pull them and we pull them across the lake. And I remember being strapped in pulling this gentleman um i forgot the exact condition he had but he couldn't walk and um he can communicate very little and you know he's stuffed in like two or three sleeping bags you know pulling him across and i just remember stopping it it just all hit me whoo yeah it just all hit me um that i was for the first time in like my life doing what i wanted to be doing wow and um i'm tearing up (laughs) but uh the 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 snow was like you know just dancing in the and the and the sunlight and you know there's just all these uh wisps of you know snow and breezes and all the sparkly glitters just all around me and you know i'm I'm, I don't know if I shed a tear and if I did, it definitely froze. But, you know, it was such it was such a powerful moment. And from that moment on, I said, no matter what I do, I always need to chase this feeling. Uh, the summer came and uh, Mr. Mr. Greg, as I call him. Um, he calls me back into his office and uh, he was like, hey, Ron, um, we've got this other disabilities trip going out. And uh, the guy who I want you to assist on this trip has cerebral palsy. And um, we're going to send you and him on a 15 day whitewater rafting trip down the Grand Canyon. And I just it was that <laughs> I, I just had to stop. Uh, I think he asked me, he's like, hey, Ron, what do you think? And I just, I was like, wow. And uh, so it, I just feel like everything after that point started to happen out of like, it was almost serendipitous after that. Everything just started to, the universe had this flow and I was just riding this current on it and it would not let me off. And I honestly feel like I'm still in that flow. Oh, so, I yeah. love that. <laughs> That's so wonderful. <laughs> So, uh, so I think we have to say, you know, you did eventually go back to school um, and and finish school, mm-hmm. um, and and one of the things that you have become uh, very invested in doing is helping historically black colleges and universities develop their outdoor programming. Um, can you talk a little bit about the importance of getting people of color outside? Yes. Um, and to start with that, you know, I first must backtrack a little bit. Before I left uh, A&T, I couldn't find a larger community or the activities that I wanted to participate in within my university. 
they had some sparse activities. I think they did like maybe a ski trip, but there was, I wanted more. And uh, I remember being so frustrated because I would go visit UNCG. They had a rock climbing wall over there. And I would look at this long list of adventures they had, you know, all these camping experiences, hiking, uh, just everything you can think of. And I remember in returning, one of the main things that I decided to make my goal was to somehow leave a legacy behind and share the moments share the feelings and emotions that I experienced on so many of those trips. You know, I wanted people to feel the same way I felt when I was crossing that frozen lake in the boundary waters. You know, um, I, I wanted people to feel the same way I felt rafting down the Grand Canyon and all these other magical moments I experienced. Um, so I got, I, I re-enrolled in North Carolina Anti-State University and it was like, all right, Ron, your main goals was like, just finish out, you know, your degree, but also work diligently to try and bring those outdoor activities here to this university. Um, it would be easy for you to just say, you know, what, I'm going to go to UNCG and just take part in their adventures. That would be extremely easy for you to do. But you've been out there. You know what it looks like. I felt like it was a duty for me to do what I could and try to expose as many students as I could. So I I went back and I started talking with faculty and staff and I heard some of those same things that I always hear and that I still hear. It's like, well, you know, you know, you're at HBCU, right? We don't we don't do those kinds of activities. Um um, other people bringing up more important pressing issues like insurance. Like I can't imagine if something was to happen, you know, how how they'll take it, especially if a, if a black child got hurt, blah, 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 blah. So these are like really important things that people were mentioning, but at the same time, they were all still rooted in that same system of like, you know, well, these activities aren't necessarily for us. UNCG and these other universities, they can get away with it, you know, because of the makeup of their students. Um, so from that point on, I, I kept pressing. And what I realized is that a lot of students really want to do these things. They just, they, they needed the invite. They needed the invite to say, hey, come and do this with us. And from there, I started thinking, okay, well, if A&T is the largest uh, historical black college university, if we're only just now starting to offer experiences like this, what are other HBCUs doing? So I started doing my research. I found, you know, one or two universities. I believe Spelman and Morehouse had a, a outing club that was uh, fluctuating. I, I believe I found one other university that had an outing club that was, you know, very sporadic as well. And um, it, I was just like, this, this is an issue at most, if not all, historical black colleges and universities. Whereas if you just go right down the street from any of these historical black colleges and universities to where there's a larger PWI, there are an abundance of resources around getting outdoors, around outdoor venture and trips. So I, I got to thinking and that's where my initiative HBCUs Outside came into play. 
And with that, it was seeing, okay, how can I not only introduce outdoor recreation, outdoor adventure to HBCUs, how can I give them the resources to to continue to find these things? I wanted to give people the resources that they normally didn't have and to be that physical invite, you know, that so many people were looking for. Um, I just knew people needed to also see that it was there and see that they could be them the be there themselves and also see me as a a fellow HBCU student doing these activities so they can see themselves also doing these activities that representation part is also so so important to me um i would see i would see these flyers for outdoor recreation uh at some of the universities HBCUs, I should say, that had these uh, sporadic outdoor clubs. And, you know, it would be just a bunch of like white participants on them. And, you know, in my mind, it's like, how can these students connect with that? You know, other than the actual experience itself, how can these students connect with that? So I knew representation was another big piece. Have campus administrations typically been excited about implementing or strengthening outdoor education programs or or has there been have you encountered more resistance i've encountered much more resistance than than people who are like oh my this sounds fantastic and i realized that i wasn't using the right language um i feel like i was coming from a point of outdoor adventure outdoor recreation and without without saying the important stuff outdoor recreation outdoor adventure because of the positive effects it has on retention because of the positive effects it has on physical and mental health especially when a lot of mental health and physical health issues plague the black community but no it was for the most for the most part it was definitely a huge amount of resistance and you know at first i was extremely frustrated by the resistance but i need to completely understand there is a lot of historical context behind, you know, uh, a lot of these, of course, I'm talking to older uh, black people in a lot of these situations around the historical contexts of, you know, why they feel as though outdoor activities aren't safe. Um, There's also, you know, the liability issues. And there's also, I've heard a lot of times that if something was to happen at a PWI or a university like UNCG and a student gets hurt, they are going to be all right. If something was to happen at an HBCU and a student gets hurt, that can literally, you know, that that program will probably cease to exist. There is a different standard that HBCUs hold themselves to when it comes to risky activities. Where does that different standard come from? Like, why, why, why are there different standards in terms of um, considering the safety of students if you're engaging in, in, you know, riskier outdoor activities? Ooh, um, <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely, that is, that's, that's a question. That is a question that is, uh, has a, a lot of history, um, behind it. And, um, it, it gets into a lot of the politics on racial issues, Growing up, I've always heard, and I know a lot of my friends 
uh, who look like me have always heard, you know, you're going to have to work, you know, twice as hard to get what someone who is white has. And that works also on the other side of things when it comes to if something was to happen and in a public institution where there's always scrutiny, there's always constant oversight of you know, what these universities are doing. And not only that, what the students of these universities are doing. When things happen on these campuses, they see, they, they, they tend to turn much larger than they really are simply because of the demographic of the population. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to something like a risk factor, you know, the, the question, is it going to be, um, you know, how how did this happen? And, and that may be the question, but, you know, a lot of times when I bring these issues up, you know, the first thing they say, the question is going to be, you know, why in the hell were they out there in the first place? After the break, we'll talk with Ron about this moment in time. Are we at a turning point regarding racism? And on a lighter note, we'll talk with Ron about black joy. What does black joy mean to Ron? And how is it an act of resistance? But first, there's a lot of heavy stuff going on in the world at the moment. And that can easily take a toll on our mental health. If you find yourself struggling emotionally, it can be really important to get professional help. One of our sponsors for this episode is a company called BetterHelp. They provide online counseling to clients all over the world. When you sign up, they'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed therapist. You can communicate with your therapist online, over the phone, or even by text, whatever works best for you. BetterHelp's services are more affordable than traditional in-person counseling, and financial aid is available. In a time when face-to-face -face meetings are really difficult to arrange, online counseling makes more sense than ever. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. For 10% off your first month of counseling, just go to betterhelp.com slash out there. That's betterhelp.com slash out there. Support also comes from Renogy a renewable energy company that makes solar products for your home, business, RV, and more. Renogy is on a mission to help you enjoy the outdoors without having to worry about air pollution, noise pollution, or maintenance. They make products ranging from solar flashlights to big installations that can power a van or RV. Renogy sent me one of their solar flashlights to test out, and it has been great. Regular flashlights always seem to be out of batteries when you need them most. But since this one has a built-in solar panel, you never have to worry about that. I can just leave mine on the windowsill, and it's ready whenever I need it. For 10% off your order at Renogy.com, enter the promo code OUTTHERE at checkout. That's R-E-N-O-G-Y dot com, promo code OUTTHERE. And now, back to our conversation with Ron Griswell. You know, obviously, 
racism is nothing new, neither in the outdoors nor anywhere else. Um, But it's being talked about a lot right now. And it's being talked about by a lot of white people um, in a way that maybe hasn't been the case. Um, And I'm curious whether you think that we are at some sort of an inflection point here. I mean, does does this moment feel different to you? This moment definitely feels different. And a sad reality, it took a lot of, I mean, being honest, it took hundreds of years to get to this point. But the catalyst for it was the constant uh, death and murdering that we were seeing within the black community so i feel like when it's a precipice because when people are tired and fed up people are tired and fed up and this has been something that i feel like could have happened years ago but maybe you know maybe the the right catalyst wasn't in place for so many people uh you know People are on, uh, people have been in quarantine and on lockdown and all these other things. And then they're still seeing all these injustices happening on, on the news in the world. And at a point, it's just like enough is enough. So, you know, I definitely feel like this is, this is different. I feel like for the first time in a long while, You know, even though there's been multiple videos out before of certain injustices of killings and murderings of of black people. But was with what happened with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many others, Maude Aubrey. I feel like people are finally really looking at it and not looking past the issues. I feel like and, and people have been looking past some of the issues for so long that. Now, it's just like you cannot not see these things. The overall uh, empathy in this country has shifted to care more, to feel more, to put yourself in another person's shoes more. And we're finally getting to a point where we realize that justice should be justice and there shouldn't be different forms of it depending on how you look. So between people being fed up and people now having their eyes more open, I feel like that this is this is definitely a unique situation and that, you know, more significant changes are coming. And I honestly I'm just hoping that the the momentum continues and that people don't see you know, the past month, two, three months as a, as a giant, um, as a giant trend. I'm hoping that these conversations continue and, you know, also wanting people to realize that, you know, the injustice is happening to people of color in general, like they're all tied to one another. So, uh, what, what I keep coming back to is a a Martin Luther King quote uh, that is so famously repeated all the time, which is uh, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. If we were to reach some sort of 
of justice or equality uh, in this country that, you know, wow, you know, black people, you know, aren't being you know, murdered by the police. That's God, that's a that's a fairy tale in my mind right now. But, you know, black people aren't being murdered by police, but there's so much injustice happening to indigenous communities or Asian American communities. I don't think we can call that real justice. I don't think I can fairly believe in justice if I didn't also believe in justice for indigenous communities and the issues that they are facing. I don't think I could turn a blind eye to hate crime against things going on towards Asian Americans and and amongst this amongst this pandemic. So we have to ask ourselves and be and, and honestly be real with ourselves and you know and say okay, how do we bring light to these issues in a way where one we don't we don't play the oppression olympics and we we tie our our liberation to each other and move forward together i think that's something that's extremely important and i don't have a direct answer to how we do that i just know it's something that needs to be done I wanted to just switch gears a little bit um, because we've been talking about some pretty heavy stuff. Um, and one of the things that strikes me uh, certainly about your your public persona, your presence on social media, things like that, is that you seem to work really hard to strike a balance between talking honestly and frankly about the tough stuff but also celebrating the good stuff. I mean, you, you you certainly don't shy away from talking about the realities of injustices. Um, but you also you also kind of parallel this by by sharing about about black joy and community and love. Um, and in fact, I notice you use the hashtag black joy a lot. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious, what does black joy mean for you? Another good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm, what does black joy mean to me? God, you know, these things seem so simple until you are asked about them. <laughs> and it's like, wow. <laughs> um, to me... Uh, Black black joy is almost like a a freedom in the sense that it's it's the freedom of being and feeling and and being in I don't want to say happiness and I don't have another word to describe joy but <laughs> that's just what it is uh, just being in that joy when so many times you see black men portrayed in negative ways uh with negative connotations you know 
thug or gangster or all these negative connotations that the media will will portray uh, black men in so often. And so, you know, black joy for me to to show my happiness and my my freedom and my wildness. I want to combat those stereotypes. But then there's also the black joy of showing other black people and black men like you can you can feel this way you can you can have this happiness and you don't necessarily have to show yourself depicted in uh this toxic light that we some that that we often do in the black community when it comes you know to men um you know uh joy is joy for me is a way of saying you know I can I can be smiley, I can be happy, I can care about my mental health, I can talk about mental health, I can talk about all these nuanced issues that are so often um, pariah within the black community uh, that are that are so often you know you you hear okay uh, you know black men don't talk about that you know uh, black men don't smile um so so for me it's black joy is more so of a resistance technique so i can show people that these negative connotations about black people for one you know there's another side to the story but also to show black people that it's okay to feel this way you don't always things don't always have to be I don't always have to be serious. You have to take, you know, the work with the rest, the 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 hard work with the joy and with the fun. And um so I know it was a very complicated way I just explained that. <laughs> but No, but it makes a again, lot of sense. Once again, you asked a very amazing question. <laughs> yes, you asked a very amazing question. one concept or idea that you wish people would take with them the next time they go outdoors like I said adventure for one is a, a, a frame of a frame of, of mind your thoughts and not necessarily a place so I feel like um, in regards to getting outside you know whether that's walking in your park in your neighborhood um, to the soundscape of sirens and not loons or not wolves or <laughs> or you know birds chirping like that's that's okay that's getting outside so on the outdoor side of things is you know they're still finding that adventure you know in your backyard and on the outdoors slash racial side of things there's the putting yourself in other people's shoes, uh, truly looking at the areas you're in and noticing who's not there and asking yourself the questions, why? Why, why aren't certain people reflected within, within these certain spaces? Think about access. Think about transportation. Think about, just think about all these things. Um, I feel like once you do that deep, reflection and thinking about uh where you are in the outdoors and who's not there in those particular spaces you can truly start to put yourself in other people's shoes 
and understand the reasons why certain individuals may not be represented there and things that also may be keeping them away from those spaces. Thank you so much for taking the time to to talk today. Anytime. Ron Griswell is an outdoor educator, guide, and program specialist focusing on underserved populations like inner cities and historically black colleges and universities. He works with brands and organizations all over the country to talk about the importance of getting outside and improving access and representation within the outdoor world. You can follow him on Instagram under the handle Ron Griswell. Special thanks to Natalia Luderman for her assistance with this episode. So remember when we talked about Black Joy a moment ago? Ron mentioned to me that he's curious how other people define it. So I'd like to put the question to you. For all of our Black listeners, what does Black joy mean to you? If you go into the episode description wherever you're listening to this podcast, you'll see a link where you can leave us a voice recording. Let us know how you define Black joy, and if you get in touch before July 31st, we might use some or all of your message on the show. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. We're always eager for new listeners, and your word of mouth is our best form of advertisement. That's it for today. Our strategic advisor is Alex Eggerking. Our advertising manager is Jessica Taylor. Sheba Joseph is our audience growth director. Our interns are Aja Simpson, Natalia Luderman, and Kara Schaefer. And our ambassador team consists of Laura Johnston, Ashley White, Tiffany Duong, and Stacia Bennett. Our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. We'll see you in two weeks. Be safe out there.